Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Travis Morningstar. You didn't seem that interested in the conspiracy theory that I've provided <laughs> to you before the show. No, I did. We have a lot of stuff to get to that's not a conspiracy theory. We're going to talk about the Breonna Taylor grand jury. We're going to talk about the Joe Biden campaign. We also have an interview with Joe Toscano. He is the author of Automating Humanity. And I'm going to say the star of The Social Dilemma, the new hit reenactment slash documentary about what social media is doing to our country. And of course, we will also talk about what's going on with SCOTUS. But yes, Travis, you mentioned a conspiracy theory before the show. I My my air conditioner, the check engine light turned on. Uh, and the it, check engine yeah, light yeah, turned yeah, on. How it, big it, is your air conditioner? And I realized that it's, it, it's the filter needed replacing. Is an air conditioner just a backed up SUV in your front door? Kind of. And that's how, that's how big you want it in LA, though. <laughs> you want like a truck backing into your apartment and then blowing a cool breeze. But I, I checked the filter and sure enough, gunky, you know, sure. we got months of, months of air conditioning going. And then I checked. I was like, okay, well, I need to buy a new filter I, I checked the the brand and the model the brand is garrison i go online <laughs> such a brand does not exist really so i was like wow. wait a minute how am i supposed to get a new filter i'm going to call the com- i'm going to call my like building and, and they're going to call me back in 3 months or something this no, is I what need, you're spending your time doing i need doing. a filter okay. now but i could not get a specific filter that would fit this okay. mysterious air conditioner and so i thought wait a minute why do I need to replace the filter when I could just get in the uh, shower with my filter? Look at you. You are a pioneersman. But then I, I looked online. I was like, is this a bad idea to take to take a shower with my filter and well, get rid of the okay. gunk that way? When you say take a shower with my filter, I imagine you lathering it up. I imagine yes. you nude, which I don't like no. to do. I imagine you sort of romantically scrubbing no, the filter. It's like a, I don't need to think about that. It's like a washboard situation that ah. gets rid of all the, 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 the gunk and the, the, the fabric and and all the, the all that stuff. So just a caveman with a bunch of rocks throwing it against the yeah. filter. Hopefully uh, it gets but clean. I, I, I went online and all these blogs were like, do not wash your filters. Why? Buy new filters. And I was like, what is the deal? Like, why is that such a big deal? Yeah. And then I saw a lot of the authors of these blogs Uh-oh. were air conditioning men themselves <laughs> who sold filters. And I, but I well. cleaned the filter in the shower and it was good as new. I, I set it on a towel overnight yes. and then I popped it right back in my AC 
the thing works just fine. Well, and in filters, a, you just need to wash them and then you pop them right back in. In a strange way, you also did hit at something that really matters, which is misinformation. Exactly. And who is controlling the narrative? Who is controlling the media? Who is controlling the spin? Oftentimes, it's people who benefit or benefit from <laughs> or, misinformation. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. <laughs> such as uh, repairmen for AC units or big AC. Such as people uh, who live in the political realm, uh, such as people who would like to see perhaps justice be done when officers shoot and kill an innocent person six times, leaving her for dead. So let's well, talk. Well, this took a dark turn. Well, I did, but that's the world we live in, and I understand. And that's what we're here to discuss, Travis. We're not here to discuss AC units. Okay. Because well, my AC, if you really want to get into it, my AC in my home doesn't work. Well, that does not so surprise I've me been because hot as hell. when you pulled up in your truck, you left all your lights on <laughs> and walked away from it into the studio. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> and leaving the battery to die. Shut up. <laughs> You've had enough of your lies. I've had enough of your lies. You've never had enough of your lies. All right. Well, speaking of lies, let's talk about some of the misinformation coming out here regarding the Breonna Taylor case. Obviously went to the grand jury and there was one indictment for one of the oh, officers yes. involved. Of course, there were no indictments for the officers involved in the shooting of Breonna Taylor, but one officer, that was Brett Hankinson. Just a character from King of the Hill. Yes, indeed. Don't bring the wonderful Hill family into this place. <laughs> officer Brett Hankinson, he uh, he got three he got three counts of one wanton endangerment. Wanton endangerment. For firing bullets that went into the apartment next to Taylor's during the attempt on March 13th to search the home for drugs. But of course, alas, there were no drugs to be found. So just to be clear, the indictment does not even mention Breonna Taylor. Well, like, it's about the plaster. It's about you got You got to think about that. You so have to the think wanton about endangerment indictment is basically saying you shot someone, you shot in the direction of someone that could have got killed. Isn't that While bad? standing over the dead body of... Breonna Taylor. No indictment was returned against Sergeant John Mattenly and uh, Detective Miles Cosgrove, who fired the bullets that struck and killed uh, the 26-year-old woman. Uh, she was found not in her bed, but rather in the hallway, uh, which in some ways makes it even more disgusting. You can picture her, you know, crawling, attempting to get help, perhaps, as she lie there bleeding to death. The officers did not even call an ambulance. As a matter of fact, her boyfriend, who she was with at the time, who was the suspect in which the cops were investigating, called 911 when the cops were there to get an ambulance to show up to take care of Miss Brianna Taylor. Absolutely disgusting. A lot of misinformation going on out there. A lot of people uh, saying that her boyfriend uh, was a dangerous, dangerous man who was a cop killer who wanted to murder all police and the police had no way to defend themselves other than to shoot his girlfriend. There's a lot of other people saying Brianna Taylor was sleeping. She was not apparently asleep during the uh, during the raid. Uh, all of this stuff doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, there is a 26-year-old woman dead in the hallway at the hands of the police. That's the big story. Not all the things on the periphery, which is like, was she dreaming? I don't care. Right. What I don't know. I don't care what she was wearing. The one lie that has been perpetrated, though, 
is that this was not a no-knock raid. A lot of people on the right are saying, well, it wasn't a no-knock raid. They announced themselves. Then all of a sudden, this dude shot at them. It was 1243 in the frickin' morning. The dude doesn't know who the hell is coming into his house. Is it right to shoot at people coming into your house? I don't know. Go to Texas. If someone steps on your yard, you're allowed to pop them in the frickin' dome. The man didn't know they were police. They were plainclothes officers. For all intents and purposes, this dude sees three people busting into his apartment uh, with his girlfriend. He doesn't know them from Adam. He doesn't know they're freaking cops. A shot goes off, pegs one in the leg. Boom. 20 shots later, six of them hitting Breonna Taylor. Does not excuse any of the action of the police. So you can take that conservative crackpot nonsense and shove it right well, up your tuchus. It's like the the thing that really matters. It's just ridiculous how people circle around so much to validate what the police did in this case. Yeah, and it's like, sure, tell all these stories to yourselves to make yourself feel more like justified. But in the, at the end of the day, it really was the justice system that failed Brianna Taylor and, yes. and her boyfriend. They, it was not even. It was almost like presumed that the death was fine. It was just like it was. It, regret- was. it was regrettable, yeah, but it was they fine. Said. Yeah, um, and it, it was. It was. It's the same way that the the colonel thinks about chicken. Sure, a couple chickens got to die, but we got to pepper them with that secret recipe somehow. And would you want us to do it when they're alive? Well, the secret that wouldn't be very the nice. The secret ingredient with this one was wanton endangerment, apparently. Indeed. Because I, I, I mean, if the justice system cannot even acknowledge the death of this woman in the in the actual indictment. What are we supposed to do in these situations? I, I really don't I, like everything. The systems of our country are failing us right before our eyes, right before one of the most important le- elections in U.S. Right. history. And so, uh, what are we what are we supposed to do with this 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 knowledge? And uh, the the only thing we can do is apparently like protest. And yes. And of course, you know, when it comes to a lot of the protest we remember that the I am not for destruction of property, peaceful protest, because a lot of the property that's being destroyed is black owned. And we have to protect these businesses because small business makes society go and it makes for safer societies and people need jabs and people need to be able to go to the store and say, hello, I will take that rug. I don't know what kind of store folks are going to, but it's important for the fabric of our society. Please said they announced their presence. But again, why would they announce their presence if they're wearing plain clothes? They said they announced their presence before using a battering ram to open the door. So you're these dudes, right? So you're this dude, Kenneth Walker, right? I don't know this guy from Adam. And again, I don't care. This is the same thing with like George Floyd after he was murdered. He made a porno. I don't give a fuck. I don't care what the past past is of these people. You don't get to the cops just don't get to kill you okay mm-hmm. that's just that is the base that's it if i don't care if this guy was really into ridiculous forms of anime that i think are quite nerdy i don't care if he was a i don't even care if he was a freaking new england patriots fan it doesn't matter one iota so kenneth walker he's in his house it's just before one o'clock in the morning boom boom battering ram playing clothes officers come in pops one in the leg any other story, hashtag stand your ground, right. hashtag brave, hashtags 2A, like that is one of the 
hypocrisies or one of the hypocritical uh, situations happening here, one of the hypocritical things that the right is saying, be like, he shot at the cops. Again, he doesn't know these are freaking cops. And somebody be, just could busted. Be making, yeah, they could be making a TikTok for all he knows. Really, and then they should be shot. Yeah, yes, yeah honestly. Indeed. So this is where the troubling uh, sort of decision, or these are some of the questions about the decision from the grand jury. These are some of the questions that a lot of people have, which is how could Hankinson be charged with wanton endangering three of Taylor's neighbors by shooting into their homes, but not with endangering Taylor herself? That is a... $12 million question, because, of course, that's the settlement that Brianna Taylor's family got, which I also found out talking to my boy Cena Gaznavi from the hit show, Fraudsters. You do have to pay taxes on that. On what? On the $12 million. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So, basically, the police mm-hmm. still get $6 million, or the, the state still gets $6 million of taxpayer dollars. Hmm. That's what I was like. I was talking to Cena about that. I was like, this is a settlement, right? And it's taxpayer dollars. Right. It's because it's coming you know, from the state. And then the state still is like, we'll take half of that back. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. He's like, well, that's that's well, income coming in. I'm like, I guess. but They need that income to pay for future settlements. That's very true. So they got 50% off of the Brianna Taylor shooting. What a discount exactly. indeed for the state. Uh, even Manley and Cosgrove had the right to defend themselves by returning fire against Walker after he shot at them and hit Manley. Did they have the justification to shoot and kill her, an unarmed person who posed no threat? That's a massive question. And again... I would say, if I was on this grand jury, uh, I would say, no, they don't have the right to do it. Uh, but perhaps the word wizard was missing from the grand jury. I have no idea the hearts or the minds of the people that's, uh, that sat on that jury. It just seems like you're going to you're gonna be like, yeah, dude shot at some walls. That's really bad. Put some people in danger. But you're not going to talk about the woman that was killed, left for dead in a hallway. And, of course, the final question is, uh, did the grand jury even get to vote on whether Madeline and Cosgrove should have been charged with any degree of homicide? Or did Cameron decide for them that they acted in self-defense? Of course, Cameron, that is the attorney general, Daniel Cameron, uh, who, hey, I'm not envious of the position, but uh, you uh, he definitely dressed for the job he wanted. And in this case... Uh, his job was defending three officers who killed an unarmed person uh, and get color out of it, get gender out of it, get everything out of it. It doesn't matter. Let's just say three cops busted into an apartment unbeknownst to the people in that apartment. One of the people in that apartment defended their right to have, uh, you know, not a bunch of people busting down their door. And then the cop shot and killed somebody who didn't have a weapon six times, leaving her to die in a hallway. That's it. That's the facts of the case. Just look at it. You can look at it colorblind and just say, oh, that's not right. Something has to be done because this can happen to you. It, I mean, apparently it, it happens every couple of days. It happens all the time. This is, you know, people, it is no knock raids need to go. And I talked about this on Instagram. At this point, cops are just soldiers. And our Third Amendment says you do not have to uh, you do not have to house soldiers. You do not have to take them into your home. I don't think I don't see cops any different than domestic soldiers. In this case, they definitely intruded this home. No knock. No idea why the hell they were there. I don't care what this guy did. You're telling me you can't get one person. You can't arrest one person in a different way. That's the other. It's, what about that great movie Stakeout? Why don't they just wait for Kenneth to get out of the apartment? 
walk through the front door. Then you can arrest him like Chris Hansen did with all the pedophiles on on to catch catch a pedophile or to catch a predator. There are so many other ways to do this. You have to. Okay, so you got one dude. He's got a drug. He's got a drug charge. This is the idea we've come up with under a under a whole bunch of Bud Lights and Budweiser's and maybe even a little bit of cocaine. What if we do it at twelve forty five in the morning? We bring the boomstick and we have a real good time with it. Well, it's the it's like the definition of being a coward because I mean it really is. All these tactics are based in fear, right? Like do it while they're asleep, do right. it under uh, in plain clothes. They they don't want to they do not want to like interact with these civilians on a like person to person level. It has to be a domineering. Uh, kind of a, a sneak attack like that. That's funny that our police are right. like are like rate are doing like Osama bin Laden raids on on U.S. citizens. Yeah. And it's all based in the idea that like you can't arrest. I'm not going to let this uh, I'm not going to let this person get the upper hand on on a person with like I just just the the backing of the state with uh, military grade weapons. You already have the upper hand. Yeah, you're you fine. don't need to sneak in the under the cover of darkness and shoot someone in yes. their their home. Uh, it's it's all. It, it just seems like all of it is a cowardly move. There's so many different ways to arrest this person. If you got to arrest this person, and I'm not even talking about this guy. Whatever it is, maybe the cops did have something on him. Maybe he did need to, you know, face some kind of criminal justice uh, situation. I don't freaking know. There are every other way is better than the way they did every it. single one. And that's, again, yeah. not even being addressed like this is the problem. We always uh, we just lose sight of the real issues, which is why the F are our police acting this way and doing things in this way when there are better ways to do it, safer ways to do it. And dare I say, not to be super libertarian, cheaper ways to do it. Yeah. This is also a super expensive way to do this. It costs the state 12 million bucks, not to mention the no-knock raid. I mean, this is just, and of course, that's totally secondary to the life well, of Brianna Taylor. But, speaking, but, you know. but speaking of money, uh, you know, ever since May, ever since the George Floyd incident, uh, you know, we've all been talking about defunding the police or, you know, reinvesting money that... Figuring could, out the police, yeah. But... Um, it turns out that more than half of U.S. cities are actually increasing their 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 police budgets, uh, according to Bloomberg City Labs. More than half of uh, U.S. cities have increased or kept their uh, their police budgets the same level. So that's not happening either. So there is no there is no um, like condemnation happening either budgetarily or otherwise. It's it's all going. It's happening. It's being reinforced and it's being allowed. So you uh, you have that accompanied with uh, people being exhausted and upset uh, with quarantine. Maybe they're out of work. And then you have this adding fuel to the fire. And it's just a powder keg. It's a powder keg in this country. In so many local municipalities all over this country are just, they're ready to pop off. And you have a situation like this where they have righteous indignation. And shit gets freaking crazy. This is going to fester. Like this the is idea going of this fester. death not then, being resolved in any real way, and then the guys getting off with it would almost be better if they were just let off, as opposed to indicted for wanton endangerment because of shooting a, another apartment. Well, let's talk about. Th- so, uh, so what could theoretically uh, get a little steam out of the room? 
uh, that would be democracy, right? That would be the idea that we have another option right. other than Donald Trump. Of course, we have Joe Biden. He's running with the Democrats. I just read this article. I know you all know that, but just just saying it. I was reading this article about what's going on with the Biden campaign, and uh, man, it kind of it kind of leaves me <laughs> feeling like I just want to go and drink some beers at the bar because I don't particularly like to pay attention to the sadness that I'm about to tell you. No door knocks, little press access, and early lids. Biden campaign stalls with 40 days left. Uh, this is just the news. It's an interesting uh, conversation, though, about what's going on with the Biden campaign and their approach and their strategy to bring out the vote right. in 2020. It's an interesting strategy, Travis, because one would say they're really not doing anything. Well, uh, the Trump campaign has, uh, they, so they've done no door knocking. Uh, they have decided that uh, Biden officials have argued it's necessary in the light of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic to not do any door knocking. Biden campaign manager Jen O'Malley said earlier this month that door-to-door -door knocks alone, quote, don't have any impact on reaching voters, which I don't know what world she's living in when you go and you knock on a door and you say, hello, just ask the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness for crying out loud. Door knocking, face-to-face -face communication is still the greatest way to get someone to like your candidate. It's pretty freaking simple. But according to Jen O'Malley, again, who should never work in politics again, uh, the Democratic campaign, she said, has been relying on, quote, conversations with voters in order to get out the vote, something the campaign is doing almost exclusively through, quote, virtual means such as phone calls and text messages. Meanwhile, the Trump campaign claims to have knocked on over 30 million doors and placed 120 million phone calls. Travis, this is, I mean, honestly, let's just toss this question up. I don't know. This is just... Is somebody pulling the strings to the point where they don't want to see Biden? Are the oligarchs like, hey, Biden, just like chill out. It's all going to be good. Just pretend like you're campaigning. Is Trump even campaigning against another campaign? Is the is the Biden campaign even real? Right. Well, I mean, what no, the hell is going on? It seems nefarious. The the COVID thing is obviously, oh, you know, wear a, a freaking mask, a sanitize excuse anyway. But I mean, you have to think during the uh, Democratic primaries. Biden did the same exact thing. He never, he didn't like, he didn't have offices in California. He didn't have offices in Texas. He, it was all like pretty much hands off because he somehow knew that uh, people would would line up. You know that uh, people in uh, South Carolina were going to line up behind him. Uh, I don't know. It's like his whole thing is not being there. This is according to the Deputy State's Director, Molly Rittner. This is what she told NPR, the most exciting morning zoo radio you could ever imagine. She says, what we're finding is that we are able to actually connect and reach more people than we had been in previous cycles through the phone. When was the last time you answered the phone, Travis? When, I never was, a, when it was a number that you didn't recognize or a uh, or a uh, even if you call, call me, ID? I'm not going to answer that phone. You got to call. I, you got to answer sometimes. You send me a text or an email <laughs> like a civilized person. <laughs> Dave Carney, a veteran Republican campaign operative who runs the New Hampshire Public Relations, um, he he accused the Biden campaign of quote Pollyannish hubris. Great, isn't that interesting? No, I didn't no idea what it means, but. Uh, this is what he had to say. He said, uh, we know empirically that personal voter contact is the most effective mode to persuade and turn out voters. 
He says he noted that the Biden campaign may miss crucial engagements with swing state voters by foregoing door knocking. Quote, time will tell if it hurts them or not. We already have seen this story. Yeah. Isn't this what we just lived through four years ago? (laughs) Am I going freaking crazy? All you have to do is show up and say, I respect you enough to be around you. I will be in your presence. People will vote for someone that they disagree with on 70% of the stuff if you just talk to them and be like, and then they will say, well, I agree with his love of beef jerky. I think, like, and I mean, it's not obviously that simple, but just show up. Well, if you want to change people's minds, you have to show up and change it. I think it's obviously I'm not like a super approving of Biden's whole like approach to campaigning, but I will say that because the election is somewhat a referendum on the way that people have treated the COVID-19 pandemic, right. it would look a little, I don't know, it would look like not authentic of him to to talk about uh, how COVID-19 is a real pandemic well, as opposed to Trump who says, you know, this is all fake, basically. What about this, though, too? Does he not have the, does he not have the grassroots motivated young people to do the door knocking? I was talking with some entertainers. I don't know if you recall, but when Bernie Sanders was campaigning, Hmm. every band that mattered was like, let's do a concert with Bernie. There has been nothing for Biden. Now, I'm not saying that uh, that would even help, but let's say with the with some of the vote. And I'm not saying like Lena Dunham doing a pantsuit mockery video, which God knows, whatever. I'm talking about like cool like, let's do a music. Let's like show, let's like rock the vote out. Let's do something freaking like, let's show some love for Biden. There's nothing like Biden is like, and I'm not saying that celebrity endorsements help, but I'm saying the image of being kind of cool doesn't hurt. He really, because Trump, I mean, in the eyes of his loyalists, yeah. is like a really dope dude. He, Biden needs to get like a prog rock band to do a laser light show. Type that would be thing. dope. Because he needs to embrace the 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 cool Joe Onion, uh, you know. Yes, the glass. characterization of him. Yes, he needs to go. He needs to to lean into it. He needs to he get needs like to uh, do something. I mean, I was talking with another buddy of mine, and he was like, "Well, doesn't it help Joe that he's not campaigning? Because look what happened with Hillary; she passed out." And I'm like, "I don't know, maybe." But then it's also like everyone just sees him as a basement dweller. Like it's so sad. And then when you don't have which, okay, so let's say. Biden's hanging out in the basement. I got you. He's doing his, uh, you know, pressers, which go every which way. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes good. Sometimes you ain't black. And sometimes <laughs> accusing um, TV hosts of doing cocaine before they uh, before they get into well, you don't work. Wanna, you don't want to rile Biden up. That's what he says. He's, well, that's what he says about the the upcoming debate on uh, Tuesday. He says, yes. What's somebody asked Biden? What's your strategy for the debate? And he says, I'm just not going to let him rile me up. Don't get riled. Don't up. get me heated. And uh, so yeah, uh, you don't want to make Biden. You don't want to make Biden angry because he might he might call you out on that. Uh, you doing the old cocaína on on air? I guess so. So the Biden campaign did not respond to repeated requests or comments regarding its major disparity of face-to-face voter contact. My other concern here is, uh, and we just have to talk about this, because if we just sit here and blindly be like, Trump is going to lose because Trump is a big fat idiot, which is like, okay, that latter can be true, but the former it doesn't necessarily, uh, might not be true. We have to be realistic here, and I want Biden's campaign to do better. But we talked about this oh, maybe six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, 
if they are just running a virtual campaign, Trump is beating them at that too. Biden gets like 8,000 views for his YouTube videos. If you if we want to live in this freaking cyber world of politics, technically Donald Trump is doing much better in that realm. We've talked about as it well. many so times before. <laughs> Trump, what is it? Trump's then? like social media team, they pour ungodly amounts of money into these campaigns. Yes. And they're just better and they're more equipped because you have Facebook, which is a Trump propaganda machine. And, and so I do, I, yeah, as when it comes to actually digital strategizing, Trump is just, just beats them in every way. So this is an interesting thing that the Biden campaign is doing as well. Uh, Biden's camp responds to inquiries regarding several recent early morning quote, lids, the campaign has called in which staffers have informed press that Biden will not be conducting any campaign activities on the day in question. On Tuesday and Thursday of this past week alone, the campaign has called a lid before noon on September 19th. Biden called a lid before 9 a.m., which basically just means he's not doing anything else that day. Uh, those decisions have raised a lot of speculation online, of course, I do have a friend, and I always have a friend, but a friend of mine does have two friends that's mm -hmm. working with Joe, and number one, they like him. That is true. They do like him, but the age thing is real, and people are a little bit, uh, just a little bit worried on, can he can he do it, even though he seemed to be spending a lot of time in his basement? Uh, some people, however, have defended the Joe Biden schedule, such as a dude named Sam Stein, who, I mean... When a hero comes along, it's mm -hmm. Sam Stein. You know who this guy is? Uh, the name sounds familiar. He's, he's on MSNBC all the time. He works for the Daily Beast and whatever. But this is what, and this quote freaking pisses me off. So this is a quote from Sam Stein. He says, people, Biden is doing debate prep. That's, what, that's the excuse for Biden not right. doing anything. And he goes on to say, that's why he's calling lids. It's not that complicated. Debate prep... First of all, how much money is Biden spending on debate prep in his basement? Is it really going to help? I always found as a performer that the best way to prepare for a performance is to perform. And Trump is out there doing exactly that with zero uh, traditional debate prep. But his debate prep is in places like Mosinee and all of his airport stops doing his sort of Teddy Roosevelt uh, train tour via the via the sky. That's all prep. So I don't anyway, not I don't I feel like I'm dumping too hard here, but well, it's I too, just it's aggravating because that's not how you improve at public speaking, which I know Joe's been doing for a long time, but anyone can do better. You can always do better. Yeah. And Tuesday, when they do go, apparently Travis was telling me that the debate is taking place in a hospital. It's in a medical hospital in Cleveland with no <laughs> yeah. audience. I might, I, maybe they'll just even keep the lights off, too. <laughs> will, will both Trump and, uh, yes. and Biden be attached to IVs? Right, yeah. I mean, just in case one of them has a heart attack, they'll be right there. But then you, the only person in the audience will be Chris Wallace. I don't know if you, I don't actually know if Chris <sighs> Wallace will be there. But uh, but yeah, it's just such a strange idea, like them going to a medical hospital in Cleveland and just standing on a stage in front of no one. I'm not sure how how much prep he has been doing. This is what he had to tell a reporter. He says, "I started to prepare, but I haven't gotten into it heavily." So yes, well, there's two so different there two go. different <sighs> styles of preparation here. What's, what are the two? Trump is saying that he's not he's not training for this. He's not going to go in 
with you know he's not going to do any kind of yeah, um, Biden is saying the same prep. thing. No, Biden is doing he's doing like mock he's doing like mock debates and oh, stuff. God. Trump doesn't do that. He apparently what he does is he'll well, do he definitely like, does mock debates. He'll like do random attacks on his own staff. Apparently that's what he that's what I've read is that he'll do <laughs> no. like random insults. Oh, uh, oh my God. But he his whole thing is that he's oh. planning to. Uh, putty, putty is freaking president. He's he's planning to characterize himself as the underdog, and he's already said, you know, look, I have four years of experience in politics. Joe right. Biden has forty-seven, so he's really <laughs> trying to lower people's expectations for his performance, which will be mostly jabbing at, at Biden. But one uh, of the- it's going to be it's going to be an episode of South Park. Yeah, no, it really is. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. But uh, uh, one of the interesting things I, I saw on the, the sort of list of topics uh-huh. for the debate is uh, the integrity of the election. Right. So a big part of this debate is going to be Trump saying, look, this is an illegitimate election. So if I win, great. But if not, it's this is illegitimate. It's well, fraudulent. And, you know, this is I was just, uh, again, speaking with somebody and talking about how this is the biggest issue facing our Democratic Republic. If we lose faith in the election process, if we lose faith in the election outcome, we're done. Right. It's the ultimate. Because that's the all that is if as soon as we can't agree on that truth, then this entire Democratic Republic experiment is over. That is the most it is the it is the linchpin of this entire thing is that as a society, we have a vote. We fight, 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 have a vote. It is all we are all in agreement that the outcome, whether we like it or not, is true. And we move forward. If we don't have that, if we don't have the consensus of truth, we don't have a reality, we don't have a country. I mean, at the end of this four-year administration has been a project to undo reality. And so I think this is like the final thing, the the final nail in the coffin of what is objective reality, because... We have we have the Supreme Court geared up, ready to uh, call the winner, essentially, if it's too close a race. And then at the which same... Not outside of the realm of possibility. Which is not outside the realm of possibility, but it, it really is the final um, bullet point of a project to basically make, you know, fake started with fake news and it'll end with a fake election. Yeah. And without that, you cannot, cannot stress how important that is. If we don't have faith in the vote, it's done. It really is. That's it. And because he's, then you then you have. <laughs> I mean, literally, that's the beginning of a civil war. Not to be all like hyperbolic and stupid and crazy, but that is a seed yeah. being planted that could definitely, definitely grow into a mutiny. And uh, and it's just we need to have a consensus of some truth 
And right now, and you can blame social media, you can blame the internet. We're going to be talking to Joe uh, Toscano here in a second about exactly that. But when that goes, I don't know, man. I, I, what are we going to do? Why I, would, then why would you vote? And then why would you trust anyone in office? Then why wouldn't you just kill that person in office? Then why wouldn't you just, uh, just create your own? I mean, just it is insane. It really is insane. I think this November will irreparably tear apart the country in some some way that will be unhealable for like a generation, essentially. Well, definitely a generation of the Supreme Court is going to be affected. Uh, let's move on to this before we get to Joe Toscano, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, she was uh, she is. Uh, Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court. Uh, no doubt this will be talked about on Tuesday during the debates in that hospital. Uh, Mitch McConnell has promised to take a vote in the Senate. Of course, the Senate confirms the president nominates. This is actually a fairly simple process. We talked about six senators that may not go on board. Uh, Cory Gardner, a few others who are up for uh, who are not up for re-election because they're retiring. And then, of course, the uh, the awful three amigos. And I hate that term, but it is what it is. With Murkowski, Collins, and of course, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney saying that he did not believe they should take a vote on who should be on the Supreme Court. Of course, they only needed to get three out of those six. So the fact that Mitt said that he would be on board is already uh, assurance that uh, Miss Barrett will be the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States. Mitt made a, like a lot of fanfare about he, his decision too. He like sent out a, a, like a jib jab to everyone. He like he was really excited to tell everyone that he fucking sucks. That's why last week when we were going through like, oh, Mitt says he's not going to do it. It's like you can't. The grains of salt <laughs> would make would make a dear. It would be a oh, dear birthday good. party. This, this is, is this is good salt. <laughs> Wow. So it's over. So it is, uh, you know, people are like, it's going to be contentious. It's going to be unprecedented. There's nothing you can do. And honestly, I'm not like, I mean, it just is the reality, right? Yeah. I'm seeing so many opinion pieces in like, even in like the Washington Post that are basically saying like, hey, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Like uh, this, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett is is just fine. And then you find out that uh, the opinion pieces are written by people who are like, hyper pro-life people well chuck schumer said that he's going to be really angry and he's going to fight but at the end of the day it's not really an emotional thing you say yes or no on a piece of paper and you raise your hand and you say yes or you say no and it doesn't matter how angry you are also the number of positive edit like uh, opinion pieces about uh, the notorious acb are acb that the, well, really she, you're doing that she's, she's the new notorious she's no, she's not the don't rgb notorious rgb rbg is now notorious acb but, RBG. Uh, i have to imagine that the positive uh opinion pieces on her have a little bit to do with the fact that she is 1000 percent inevitable well according to a 2013 notre dame magazine article uh, she stated that, quote, life begins at conception. She also said that justices should not be strictly bound by Supreme Court precedents, a deference known as stare decisis, uh, leaving open the possibility that she could vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Evangelical and other anti-abortion activists have been pushing for her nomination. So some folks that support uh, Miss Barrett is uh, the head of the Susan B. Anthony list. That is Majority Danson Dannenfelser. 
Danon Felser, and also in Barrett's corner is Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. This is what Tony Perkins has to say. And by the way, Tony Perkins is a horrible person. Uh, if uh, you ever grew up in a household that was evangelical, Tony Perkins and the Family Research Council, I mean, these are people that believe in gay conversion therapy. These are people uh, that are just absolutely under the guise of uh, religious liberty, under the guise of God told me, attempting to torment millions and millions of people in this country because they don't uh, particularly care how they find love. They think it's disgusting. Uh, this is what he had to say. He says, I want you to know where I stand. And I think that's reflective of where social conservatives are. We work too hard and for too long to miss at this point. Uh, this is according to Phil Cox, a former executive director of the Republican Governors Association. Uh, he says she will be a great pick and uh, she's going to uh, have a tangible impact in a critical swing state such as Florida. She is also only 48 years old, uh, so she will be there for a long, long freaking uh, time. Also, so, a fun thing about... Tony Perkins is really one of the worst human beings. Tony Perkins and uh, James Dobson, these people make Pat Robertson look like a, a hippie at Woodstock. These guys are really nefarious. And at the end of the day, it, they ain't in the God business. They're in the money business, and don't forget that. These people want to make money, 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 and they use God, air quotes God, to get it, and there's a special place in hell for people that do that. A fun thing about uh, Amy Coney Barrett, though. Uh, really fun? It is kind is of it fun? fun. It's sort of like a Doctor Who time travel sort of thing. <laughs> um, so she actually worked for a, a law firm called Baker Botts in 2000 Okay, that was on the case to get Bush elected via <gasps> the Supreme Court. What? Yeah, so she actually has a lot of experience with um, how to turn an election in someone's favor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, two of the Supreme Courts that are already on the Supreme Supreme Court are were also involved with that with that decision. So we have three judges that have um, intimate relationships with uh, the Supreme Court deciding an election. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I, I feel like I keep harping on it, but this really is like the Mario Kart power up that Trump needs to. If the election is close, he has this like backup thing for and he, he has like yeah. this powerful weapon now king koopa might be slow but it's tough to take him down but uh i i mean i really think biden has to win heavily like he has to which means he needs to go start knocking <laughs> on freaking doors anyway it's uh if barrett is confirmed she'd be the fifth woman to serve on the supreme court uh obviously elena kagan and sonas sonia sotomayor are on the bench right uh now this was during Barrett's confirmation hearing to serve on the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in 2017. She really is very young. Uh, Barrett engaged in a contentious exchange with the Senate Judiciary Committee's top Democrat, Senator Dianne Feinstein. Of course, Dianne Feinstein, she was the one who funded Blasey Ford uh, when she came forward against Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, the California Democrat pressed Barrett on her deeply held religious beliefs and how they would impact her jurisprudence. And of course, this led to some criticism that the Democrats were being anti-Catholic. This is what Feinstein said to Barrett. She says, the dogma lives loudly within you. And that's, I mean, this is like out of Star, Star Wars or something. The dogma lives loudly within you. And that's a concern when it comes to the big issues that people have fought for for years 
in this country. Barrett responded, saying it's never appropriate for a judge to impose that judge's personal convictions, whether they arise from faith or anywhere else on the law, which is a safe answer. But again, these are human beings that are sitting on the most powerful court in the country, making it one of the most powerful courts in the world. And uh, when people say, oh, I don't I don't let my personal beliefs get in the way. It's not possible. And uh, without a doubt, if you are a uh, an advocate uh, for Roe v. Wade to stay in place at the federal level, uh, this is this is definitely a fight that the future holds. And of course, when it comes to Roe v. Wade, that would be federal law. States would still be allowed, you know, to have uh, abortion and would still be allowed uh, to have facilities. But then you would also have to look at Planned Parenthood funding. That would be cut dramatically. You would have to look at federal funding across the board. And uh, obviously getting wrapped up in the abortion debate is just women's health issues in general. And and abortion is sort of the, the boogeyman in the room or sort of the straw man argument. But you start shutting down these facilities. We're already seeing it. Texas has two, I believe, total. Texas is freaking huge. Uh, you know, you think about the people who are most affected by um, unwanted pregnancy or the most affected by a pregnancy that they can't carry to term. Uh, perhaps uh, whatever the reason is, I'm not going to get involved in people's personal lives. That's why I'm pro-choice. It is, it, it is bigger than just abortion. It is about, it's just about so much medical treatment. And, uh, you know, just uh, it could be it could be very bad. Also, anyway, funny. uh, I mean, as a as a choice, like Trump selecting her, I think is a little bit also of a GOP thing where it's like using. It's also a very easy selection for Trump, too. Yes. Well, I was going to say it's because it's like they the conservatives love to do this like identity politics gotcha. Right. Because it's like, oh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, very famous kind of woman's icon. Oh, what if we replace her with another woman right. who just happens to be like the exact opposite ideology, ideologically? But at the same time, Trump can say it's a woman. Like, what, a what woman. do you, what, what do you, why are you getting mad at me? You know, it's like um, Thurgood Marshall, the first black justice on the mm-hmm. Supreme Court. He was replaced with. Clarence Thomas, who is the most <laughs> right-wing, it's it's like bizarro versions of the Supreme Court justices, yeah. and so yeah. it's that you get this like you get uh, you get to say, look, we're not we're not misogynists, or we're not you know we're I'm I'm not Trump, I'm I'm a different kind of Trump because right. I I selected a woman and, justice, and, but it gets but you get to hide your all your ideological bombs in this and, and, in this uh, justice, and don't forget Donald Trump, you know, obviously financed a lot of abortions, and no matter what, people of his wealth. Um, will always be able to have access to abortions. You have to think about uh, the people who are really being affected here. And, uh, of course, that plays into wealth disparity. It plays into why the gap continues to get larger. And uh, there's just so much uh, in that conversation. And at some point, we should have a, we should have a lady. We'll have a lady on, uh, speaking of identity politics, to uh, talk about that, though, because obviously— uh, we don't I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of uh, of uh, the female health care issues. But um, well, you, got the, right. you got the uterus in there. You got the Yeah. You want to break it down for us? The uvula. You got the yeah, 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 uvula. <laughs> I think there's like a hockey uh, game going on and like somewhere. The hyoid bone. Yeah. 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 You got the boobs. I that's uh, and that's about it. That's, that's about. Yeah. Also, I did find out you can indeed get butt cancer of the butt 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 cheeks. 
Right. Somebody did tell me that. Yeah, so. but I thought I thought your idea of making a human out of completely butt cheeks was a pretty <laughs> novel one. <laughs> the, the old black. Make, make, yeah. Why don't we make the whole plane out of the black box? Yeah. Oh my god, that's a great character from like Resident Evil Four or something. <laughs> Just like the butt monster. Um, all right, N- Nimus ass. Yeah, Nimus ass. All right, everyone. Now it is time for our interview with Joe Toscano. You've heard him before, right here on Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. You've also perhaps read his book Automating Humanity. If you have not, do yourself a favor: read Automating Humanity, and you have also seen his beautiful face on the new documentary that is a global phenomenon: The Social Dilemma. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me back. I'm excited. Hell yeah. It's a good time. Dude, this Social Dilemma documentary, so I watched it. Um, getting through the reenactments is interesting. That's the only I have. I have to start with Gripeville. The reenactments, I was yeah. like, oh my God, there's so many reenactments. Yeah, yeah. Got to watch it a couple times to really catch everything, huh? There's a, there's a lot going on. You really do. It is an incredible documentary, extremely informative. People who worked in big tech talking about the methodology they used to make sure that the rabbits got all the pellets that the rabbits wanted. Of course, in this scientific experiment, were the rabbits. And much like Lenny, the government or big tech is breaking our necks and destroying our society. Is that safe to say? (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely causing a lot of problems, man. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot of things that go into it, as the film kind of spoke to, right? But uh, yeah, it's causing a big problem in the way that we communicate society, the way our information is distributed, and, and ultimately how uh, divided we are as a nation, no doubt. Do you think, you know, bringing this into modern America, where we are, COVID, 2020, pandemic, when it comes to social media, when it comes to people being able to engage on Zoom, on all these other platforms, do you think that um, we... Or that this is part of a larger, you know, COVID, it's going to be discussed for generations for so many reasons, politically, scientifically, <laughs> uh, health wise, um, what it did for people, how did people react, the human element. But I also think one of the fascinating things about COVID is how it is forcing people now in an, to live an online life because you're not supposed to leave. Things are closed. Can you explain a little bit of the correlation between uh, social media and where we are now as a society where people, you know, it used to be it used to be a component of your life. I have a little Twitter, I have an Instagram here. And now mm-hmm. it's people having dinner via Zoom. Now it's everything. Now it's dating. Now it's now it's I mean, there's going to be yeah. there's going to be Zoom Thanksgivings. Well, the good thing is we can't have kids through Zoom. So at least we want to expand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's very true. It's very true. And and this is actually something I did. I spoke about my book, too, you know, yeah. um, not COVID specific. But I wrote about how, you know, we are just at this point that if we have an economic crash, if there's anything that, you know, kind of guts the market, it's going to come back through and we're going to be on a new age of right. industrialization. Uh, and that's really what this is. You know, uh, I didn't I had no idea at the time that COVID was going to be the reason. Right. Um, but that's what it is. We're, we've really just um, we've hit a point at which, you know, all the tech was ready. You know, it's been there and businesses have been operating on it. Many of those businesses that have been operating on it have been exceedingly uh, you know, growing at an exceeding pace, like right. beyond the regular market. Um, and now what's happening is businesses are getting forced into it. And they're realizing, oh, that's why those businesses were operating so well. Mm. And so I don't think we're going to get away from it now. I don't think we're going to go back to, you know, I think eventually I, and I 
hope. You know, I'm a, I'm very much like I want to have events in person. I love the community aspect. Of course. I hope we get back to the person aspect, right? The human to human contact, all that. But uh, from a business perspective, from a how do we communicate? How do we you know share information? I don't think we're going back. You know, I just don't think so. I took a bunch of weed edibles the other night and I was thinking about uh, Manhattan. <laughs> And obviously Manhattan, uh, there, there's been a massive drain of the population. Millions of people that could get out of Manhattan escaped Manhattan. I'm one of them. Uh, you're one yeah. of them. I mean, none of us look like yeah. Snake. This is not a John Carpenter movie. No one had to get out of there on a, on a jacked up speedboat. But do you think that brick and mortar, which is basically what we're talking about, we're talking Walmart is upset mm-hmm. because Amazon doesn't have as much brick and mortar. They don't have as many employees. Walmart has more overhead than Amazon. So Walmart is like, Amazon's taking our jobs, which is irony beyond irony beyond irony. <laughs> but do you think that Manhattan, for example, yeah. is going to uh-huh. never be the same? When it comes, because if you're a business now, you had, you had something on Fifth Avenue, mm-hmm. you're paying 10 grand, yeah. 15 grand a month. All of a sudden, you find out, oh, mm-hmm. all of my employees can work from home. They're happier from home. No need for pants. Why the hell would I continue to pay this amount of rent? So let me separate a couple things there. I think uh, from a perspective of will the businesses change, yes. From a perspective of will New York never be the same again, I don't agree with that one. I think uh, the the business models, the businesses that are in New York, the way you used to live may be different, but I do believe eventually that buzz of New York, that energy that we all went there for yeah. is going to come back. I do think that's going to come back. I, I, I'm very hopeful for it because I love New York City. Of course. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the businesses will change, right? New York of all places, New York City of all places learns how to use every inch of space as productively as possible, right? Right. So why wouldn't they adapt um, in that sense? But I think, you know, I do fully believe, uh, and there was a uh, Jerry Seinfeld wrote, I think it was in the times about that too. You know, New York will recover. New York will come back. Will it be different? It will be a little different, but the societies have always changed over time. And, and this is our pivot point, you know? So when it comes to individual structures, we often talk about, we have this twofold issue. Let's just stick with Manhattan. Uh, there's a lot of folks, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at new nor'easters. We're looking at storm patterns stronger than ever. Uh, it's possible. Some people are like, hey, Manhattan, it's on a fault line. Like there could be an earthquake. Theoretically, <laughs> these tangible buildings can go away. Anything mm-hmm. can become the city of Atlantis. Um, sure. So or uh, uh, so when it comes to everything going cyber, when it comes to businesses mm-hmm. now just living online not let's say they say screw the brick and mortar screw the uh, screw the Mm -hmm. overhead screw the rent what are some of the cyber storms i guess for lack of a better term that we could Mm -hmm. that 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 that, you know kind of scare you or or that we should be expected because i mean you see that you know just how we're gonna get attacked by terrorism i don't know i mean what's it gonna be because that's kind (laughs) of that's kind of the craziest thing to me you know as someone who likes i I like tangible things it's like what if all of this just goes away and then all of a sudden it was like how do we build a building again yeah well so how about that let me give you one one thing to give a little positive before we go into that world um i think I think actually what's going to happen, I think these cities are going to decentralize. I don't think you're going to see quite as many people. Maybe New York City people do come back eventually, right? But um, I think partially because the economy is forcing it, you know, people just don't have money. They're going to go where they can afford. Um, And I think that we will also see the demographic of our voting spread change because of that as well. The the liberals on the coast will start to come inward a bit. And I'm, I'm seeing that in Omaha. 
seeing people come in from Chicago and Denver and people from the coast going into Denver and Chicago, you know, right, right. Um, from a strategy, from like a, a military perspective, the national security stuff, which I am also very interested in and thinking about all the time. Um, yeah, I do think there's a, a much bigger threat now, now that this is kind of like a, a public recognition of it. It's always been a threat, right? We've always, there are plenty of examples of um, <clears throat> foreign actors or even domestic actors right. uh, hacking and shutting down power grids. Um, well, how about this one? You want you want to really go with this dystopia? I'll give you one. Um, how about if how about if uh, because we give access to our GPS, you know, we have uh, foreign nations that effectively can have a heat map on cities, right? That means uh, they can know our inroads and our outroads. They can know our weak points and critical infrastructures, things like that, right. um, because they know the sentiment analysis based on our posts and everything. They can create media to push us in different directions and whatnot, which is happening right now, 100%. Um, but let's say all that combines, and now we have this foreign actor who wants to do harm to us, says, well, I know exactly where the weak points are in the city. I know at what time of the day, and I know which direction to go, and, you know, the wind speed and all this, whatever. Right. Um, and, and while we do it, you know, you know, Pearl Harbor, we didn't see coming, right? Well, what would happen if we never caught it at all, and actually they shut off our power grid at the same moment they were doing it, so all our radars went blank, everything went blank, everything except for, oh, shit, now it's on top of us, right? Uh, how do we react because all our power shut down? Uh, like, what do we do? I guess that you know? plays on the concern of sensitivity, right? Because technology has advanced very fast. Um, but mm -hmm. the brick and mortar, like like our power grids, are the frickin' same they were in the 60s. Exactly. So when it comes to the sensitivity, I, you know, like I remember when online dating was considered taboo. Because people were like, how could you find love on the internet? Doesn't make sense. Yeah. And of course, millions and millions and millions of people made that a reality. Mm -hmm. But there's the sense of like, um, it's kind of masturbatorial. It's, it seems like it's not full, it's not full right? Uh, when it comes to like cyber. And it seems like the, it's very sensitive because the, the harbinger of the technology is still in this 60-year-old or 80-year-old little, like, package. Sure. So I feel like a lot of people are super concerned about, you know, how the hell we're going to stop an attack like that. What would you like to see happen when it comes to the power grids, when it comes to us trying to protect ourselves from something like that? Yeah. If we are going to go all in with the, with the tech future... This if, mm -hmm. if it can if it can be gone in a snap of a finger like freaking Thanos, yeah. Um, I, I feel like people are just going to be extremely scared and stressed constantly. Yeah, I hope not. I definitely can see your point. Um, uh, so what would I like to see happen? Um, I would like to see our government now that we it's public conscious. Right. I would like to see the, the government start to act on some of this and fund some of it, right? There's only so much that you can spin reality, and eventually your reality spin breaks, and that's where we're at right now. They have to recognize this now, and that's kind of part of the movie. That's, that's, we want this stuff to be a point at which there's no more spinning. Here's the truth. Right. Go find it. Um, but I think a realistic solution that's already happening both in foreign nations like all over Europe um, and beginning to happen in parts of our country is the decentralization of the power grid in, mm. you know, small businesses or even larger businesses, you know, putting solar panels or having wind uh, capture devices, whether mm. that's, you know, windmill or whatever it is um, that they're more sustainable by themselves. You know, they are more independent of the power grid. Uh, they can, 
capture all their own energy and make sure that they have the energy to operate. And if there's a blackout, well, it doesn't really matter because they're mostly off the grid and have energy stored up. But then you're also seeing in other nations that not only is the energy stored up, but some of these people and some of these companies are selling energy back to the centralized grid, Hmm. right? Um, So it actually becomes a revenue stream model for the company to have solar panels or, you know, a wind farm or whatever. Um, I think, I think that's really where it's going to head both because I think there's a lot of people now having that concern saying, I need to make sure I am independently secure and because there's going to be economic incentives behind it. You know, if I can make money doing something, people can do it. That's really, that's a great point and interesting. And thank you for taking that side of it. I didn't think about yeah, decentralized uh, energy. It really is the way that we are now. And I think that's uh, a, that's, that's a great uh, relief. Uh, for myself and hopefully yeah. for the listeners as well who are struggling. Tonight after this. Hey, all I do know? is sleep, baby. I love it. That's the one thing. I, I've slept through both of the earthquakes here in LA. I don't know. It just, I just I like to be rocked to sleep. I don't. I'm not sure what's going on. <laughs> Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. So let's just shift gears a little bit. Going back to the social dilemma. Again, we're talking with Joe Toscano by his book, Automating Humanity. It's badass. The social dilemma was talking about Instagram, for example. Instagram will register how many times you look at an image, how long you look at an image. uh, What's your reaction to that image? Netflix, for example. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, this show is an 80% match, a 68% match. Um, And basically what those two... Uh, algorithms are doing is theoretically presenting you with more things that you would like. But then, of course, the problem is you're also then not presenting me with things I don't know I might like. So can you speak a little bit on how technology could fix that problem? I was just looking at Netflix the other day Mm -hmm. and I I forget what I clicked on. It was 68 percent match or whatever. I'm like, I really wish there was a 68 percent match part positive and then be like, and this is a zero percent match or whatever. Just like show me show me one thing where it's like you'll probably hate all this shit. We think this will make you vomit. <laughs> yeah, this will probably make you vomit. You'll hate all this shit, but hey, cruise through. Yeah. Maybe you'll find something you like. How do you how does how does social media and algorithms that Netflix uses, Hulu uses, how do they address that issue? Yeah. Well, I think this is a conversation that's just bubbling up, right? Um, there let's be honest, there's no serendipity on the internet. Right. You can't have serendipity in a completely logical world. It's just not possible to code. You can't code serendipity. Mm. Um, and that's what life, that's what makes life magical. You know, I think that's also why people are starting to become a little disenchanted in social media. They've kind of realized like it's a game system. Right. But uh, there, you know, there are companies that are trying to make attempts uh, and, and are starting to label some of those things so you can find them. I think, 
you may see in the future that we actually do have a timeline dedicated to, hey, here's things that may be different than what you normally click on. Um, it would be very easy for the companies to do that, for sure. You know, we know, we know they can do that. They just yeah. choose not to. Um, because if you don't click on it, it doesn't drive money to them. Uh, I think the, the bigger question behind that is really how do we help create a system that financially incentivizes them to create new solutions to that problem, right? So um, is it because things are easier when people are in finite boxes? So if you are someone like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, and we're going to talk about how yeah. these companies are making billions of dollars, even as people are dying and suffering on the streets as uh, joblessness mm. and homelessness are skyrocketing in this country. But do you think it's because they have an invested interest in keeping people in these boxes so they can go to, let's just say politically, so they can go to pollsters. Yeah. They can go to they can go to campaigns. Uh, they can go to media networks and say, I can get you this exact opinion that is held by X, Y, Z amount of people, and I guarantee you this result. Is that why they continue to keep us in the boxes and almost force us within these what are theoretically parameters of our own like and dislikes, but we don't freaking know that if we're not allowed to explore? So I'm going to give a short, immediate answer, which is yes, um, but also a, a bit larger answer, which is it's, it's beyond that even. You know, it's beyond the advertisement. That is their business model. Right. Um, but ultimately, it's about the control and the stability of their returns, right? If, if their returns were made based on, you know, selling you Lego parts, then they would want to optimize that as well. They want to figure out how to make sure they have the most stable. Really, it's all rooted in stability, which is a human desire, right? It's these massive, you know, uh, shareholders or, or uh, company owners, whatnot, they want to make sure they're returning money every quarter, right? right. And they have created what is the closest to perfection of the stock market in the history of the world. That's what they have. If in a business perspective, in a pure business perspective, what they've done is absolutely brilliant. What they've done on a humane perspective is pretty sick in the head, right? Um, that's, that's the difference really is, um, yes, absolutely. They have an incentive to keep you in that box because the more defined you are, the easier it is to help people understand what to do to do things to you. Um, you know, and that's, that's just part of it. Uh, so I can't, you know, we talk about that for a long time. But yes, that yes, they do. When it comes to something like, well, let's just stick with Facebook, because I think that, you know, we, let's just stick with Facebook. There's so many others we can talk about, but let's just stick with Facebook. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, for example, has, you know, under the guise of free speech, uh, which obviously we're massive First Amendment advocates here. We run a podcast network <laughs> under the guise of free speech. He's also allowing for a lot of misinformation to permeate. And that misinformation has now become mainstream. We have politicians who ran as QAnon um, supporters or anti-QAnon candidates being elected. We're seeing this stuff uh, manifest itself in reality. Why would this, and of course you see the memes, if, if it was 1940 Germany and Facebook was around, Hitler would have a 30 second ad about exterminating the Jews. And, you know, uh, Zuckerberg would just be like, well, that's yeah. ironically would be like, well, that's free speech, free speech. Let him do it. Like, yep. How do you, how do you tow that land? How do you tow that line as a social media <laughs> company? You don't want to tell <laughs> people what to think theoretically, air quotes. But you also have mm -hmm. to, at some point, be like, Pizzagate's not real. 
Because if we allow this to consider, if we allow this to continue to to flourish on our platforms, we're going to see people die. Yeah. So I'm just going to start with Mark Zuckerberg's opinion of free speech is uh, not democratic at all. It's an American. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's opinion of free speech is anarchy. Right. Um, we do have laws in physical reality that define to an extent what is allowed to be said and what is not. Right. Right. Uh, they, that is it's not it's not super deep in its definition, but it is something that protects us. Right. Uh, what these companies have argued is that those laws effectively don't apply to them. Um, but this this free speech argument is also really difficult. You know, uh, I'm not trying to pander to Zuckerberg here at all, but like consider the the Pizzagate thing. Now, obviously, we went through history. We saw what happened and we know that was problematic and, and it, it was fake. It was dumb and it was right. It's belligerent. But um, there are a lot of things that are created, uh, even, you know, probably some of your content that's, you know, parody level. Right. Uh, right. Making fun of things that's yes. not true but should be allowed, right? And the problem is they're trying to define and have an algorithm define what that thing is and what it's not. They're having an algorithm go out and, and do the analysis and do the vetting, and, and that's just not possible. It's never going to be possible um, in, a, in a perfect sense, right? It's right. always going to be an imperfect art, and that's why we need more humans in the loop of this, right? That's actually something I argued in the book. A few years back, DARPA created a, a, what was it, a group of them uh, under the name Chess, which was, I believe, Computers and Humans Exploring Software Security. That was, you know, this is three, four years ago I was reading okay. this. But um, effectively what DARPA said was algorithms are great at being the fishnet and mm. grabbing it all. But then we need humans to take the fishnet and actually sift out, right? right. Um, and now let's see, what is, what is Facebook doing now? Right? Facebook does have some curators. Um, the problem is those curators are facing mass levels of mental uh, stress and oftentimes going into PTSD because of it. Wow. Um, but here's the, here's the real thing. If we want to, let's, we'll talk, that's a whole other thing we can talk about, but here's the reality of it. Um, those people who are curators or who are uh, fact checking, doing those things, you can think of them like emergency responders, right? That's mm-hmm. effectively kind of their role on the internet. They are the police, the firefighters, the whatever you want to call them. Okay, so let me put this in parallel to help give some context to the scenario. Okay, in New York, last time I looked, um, New York had about 9 million people in the metropolis um, in the city, and they have about 15,000 emergency responders, so those 9 million people. Okay. Now, we all know those emergency responders don't respond to everything perfectly, right? They, right. And, and they can't get to everything because there's limitations to time and space. Yeah. We are humans. Okay, what Zuckerberg did... Uh, a few years ago when he was getting interviewed, uh, I believe, by Congress, the Congress and the Senate, he apologized for what had happened in the last election. He said, we're going to get more people to help curate. And right. he said, we're going to hire 20,000 people yeah. to help. Okay. Now put that in context. In New York, there's 9 million people getting served by 15,000, and we still can't get it all. Yeah. Zuckerberg said, I'm going to hire 20,000 for $2.1 billion. Right? That's 30% more people for 230 times the amount of people. To be served. Um, what Zuckerberg did is he said, well, you government officials, I know you have no idea what I'm talking about, so let me give you a number that sounds big to anybody, but actually in reality, <laughs> it's absolutely nothing. Right. You know, um, just go back to your business, peasants. That's that's what he said. Um, that, that's a lie, but that's what he effectively said. So, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the net, right? And I think that was such a great analogy for what the yeah. what the algorithms can do. Let's move that on to a little bit 
um, in the conversation regarding TikTok. Let's yeah. talk about what's happening with TikTok. Obviously, there was a lot, uh, a large concern mm-hmm. that the Chinese government was taking all of this data and they were using it to spy on Americans and those sorts of things. And now TikTok, I believe, has been sold to Oracle, which I believe is still half owned by a Chinese oligarch. Anyway, anyway, uh-huh. what do you, what can you just sort of um, break down the TikTok controversy or the TikTok issue for the audience? Because I'm still like. I don't do TikTok. I also feel like if the Chinese government wants to spy on us via TikTok, like, uh, I don't know, like, show me seeing uh, WAP. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what information are they getting yeah. from TikTok? Well, uh, first, let's uh, let's uh, have a moment of silence for all TikTokers who make their income off TikTok. Oh, true. Because uh, the fact that Walmart and Oracle are on, in the midst of acquiring this company, you could probably say goodbye. Why do you think that is? Why would that be the case? What have you seen come out of Walmart or Oracle that kids are like thumbing up on? You know, <laughs> I don't think that. I think it, it's not gonna. You know, maybe it stabilizes. We'll see. Um, but uh, anyway, let's assume it's around. Um, what are the threats? Well, you know, there's this common notion that a reason why Trump is attacking it is because he's getting made fun of, and da 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 da. And and I'm gonna say he's, that's probably right. That's probably part of it. Um, but then their argument is that it's national security, and that is 100% true, right? Um, I'm I am full support of banning TikTok uh, in the current state of it. You okay. know, I, I think that the expression that kids have on it is great. Like the, the the vehicle of it has done a lot of good for the world. But from a national security perspective, I'm behind the decision. Really? Um, until until something else gets resolved. Yes, because it's not just kids' videos, right? Um, first of all, we don't want the kids' videos being posted on Chinese servers. Okay, sure. Let's put a, a really simple one before we get to national security level. Let's say you have some revenge porn between a couple teenagers or something right. like that, and the parents want to deal with it. You want to have some something resolved. Okay, now, if it's a if it's like Snapchat or somebody that, has a, uh, that exists in the U.S. and we have uh, legal jurisdiction over it, we go to Snapchat, we have a subpoena, we do whatever needs to be done to get the data and the access to everything, and we go through court. Right. If this is on Chinese servers, good luck subpoenaing the... Chinese uh, Communist Party, <laughs> right? You know, like there's no protecting anybody on that platform because we'd have to go through Chinese jurisdiction. So that's a problem. Okay. Um, be- beyond that, right? Um, China just recently, uh, and I, I'm probably going to be off on the wording a little bit here, but China just recently made recommendation engines, effectively algorithms, uh, a legal export of this of the state and which means that um you have to get approval effectively tiktok would have to get approval to sell their algorithm to whoever acquires them interesting Does that make sense? yes so if you want proof that tiktok is a chinese surveillance tool there you go you know there's no right. more arguing it right and and what can they do from that well kind of like we just talked about earlier they know GPS. They can analyze sentiment. They can do a lot of different things with that data right. and then figure out how to influence our nation, see our critical pass, all those things. Now, how is that? Mm-hmm. How, how is the data that TikTokers are presenting any different than the data that you can just go on Instagram and look at? Like, if you're the Chinese government, people aren't exactly hiding. Yeah. Like, everyone's like, this is my dinner, this is my stool after I ate that dinner, and this is me, you know, sleeping off off the wine. I'm not going to sit here and try to argue that what we have in Instagram and Facebook and Twitter is bulletproof. I'm not going to sit here and try to do that because that would be a lie. But it is a step better 
And in the okay. name of national security, I would hope that those companies, these American companies, would do a bit better to protect our national security. Right. Um, we've seen that to maybe not be the case all the time, and there are debates over that, and it's very valid debates. Yeah. But to just default, hand it over to the Chinese government, I think is a mistake. Um, and so I am in support of it in the immediate sense. I hope something can be resolved. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I think it can be. It's just a matter of will it. Um, but, you know, yeah, we, I, have, I, we, we have things like the United Nations, right? Which is obviously, you know, it came to mm-hmm. be. Um, this was a, you know, post-war institution trying to bring the nations together. Hence the United Nations. Yeah. Is it possible to get a cyber version of that where statehoods, uh, don't own the um, the the content. Is it possible to get almost like a global cyber, I, don't, I guess, government for lack of a or, or, or committee uh-huh. coalition? Is, is that the way to do it in the future? Then to to eliminate because I feel like we're in like almost kind of little cold war. We're in a little cold war state when it comes to we IP, are. right? No, hundred percent. That and that's why I am in favor of the ban of TikTok for now. Um, right. I'll, I will. I will say that. But these are already um, global companies, so we already basically yeah, live right. uh, in a in a right. oligarchic world. Very true. Very true. Um, the thing with data is that it does get old. It does expire. You know, it, not not entirely, but uh, the relevance of it does change, right? Like a, like your address is a more stable data point because probably you're not moving anytime soon. But other right. details, your email address, other things may change more rapidly, and then they need to keep collecting that. So um, from from that perspective, I mean, like. Uh, if we cut some of these pipes off, if you will, cut the pipes, um, then it gets safer probably in three to five years. You know, it's a, it's a kind of like thing like that where by default it kind of gets a little better. Um, Just because the information they're collecting is wrong. Some of it becomes stale. It doesn't right. necessarily mean it's wrong, but it becomes, you know, stale uh, sure. and less less valuable, still valuable, but less valuable. And then – Going back to the global governments, uh, so like I, I'm a I'm a member of the steering committee in the World Economic Forum's Data Protection Committee. Um, it's something where we do have a global stage to discuss these issues, and yeah. we try to create frameworks. Um, ultimately, I will say those the UN, the World Economic Forum, several you know some of those things, they're great for creating frameworks. I personally would never want a global government, and I think that probably rings true with a lot of people. Oh, I think so. Um, yeah. If you, if, you know, like, I, I don't want that. I think that it's great that we have a place where nations can unite. I do think the nation state, the concept of it is going to evolve through this and because of it. I, I do believe it will become more cloud-based. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting future, to say the least. Um, but no, I, I personally would not care to have global governance. I think that level is great for creating frameworks. Mm -hmm. The federal level is good for creating uh, legal floors. And then it should become state and local governments that really define how life is a bit more. When it comes to, you know, talking about the Cold War, obviously in the context of uh, cyber, in the context of China, there was a fear of tangible war when we had the Cold War with the Russians, right? The nuclear uh, threat was very real. Do you think that we're going to have any kind of land war? And this is sort of, I know that you're a tech guy, but do you think that that, that this could result in any kind of yeah. tangible land war? I mean, pray to God or whatever that it's not with the Chinese or anyone. But what are your thoughts on how cyber and, uh, and tangible war kind of uh, coexist and help or, or hurt one another? Uh, it's, it's definitely possible. Let's not, you know, 
not, not say it's not. Um, and uh, how can it happen? Well, I personally think war is going to more and more over time get away from like human to human mm-hmm. war as we know it. I think it's going to come more into like drone warfare and automated warfare. We're yeah. going to have a lot of like proxy wars is kind of mm-hmm. what I've, you know, the language that you hear. Yeah. Um, and I know for sure, I know there are swarm drones being built. The concept of swarm, do we need to talk about that? Please, yes. Drone. Yes, just go into uh, some so detail on that. We know we know what a swarm is, right? You see yeah. a swarm of bees, a swarm of birds, a swarm of what? A swarm of drones and militarized drones, a swarm of them. I know yeah. if you, you can look that up, that's public knowledge. Yeah. The military has been working on that. But imagine that, right? Uh, imagine that you have these state wars of uh, – thousands of drones being sent overseas to fight each other. Uh, and, and it's all remote controlled. Um, right. really what that, but think about that. What kind of, effect it does just, that have? it's battle bots. At the end of the day, it's just, it's exactly at the end of the day, it's just a, a bunch of people who got too puffed up and decided we're going to play video games with each other in real life. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I don't know there, there will, there will be war. There's always going to be that threat of it probably, but, um, yeah. Will, will it be what we used to know? I don't. I don't know that that's the case. I think it's going to be a lot of, like I said, hacking the grid, turning off power, and access to utilities. It's going to become like really core fundamental stuff because now <sighs> the roots of our lives are are on the grid. They're on. They're accessed through tech, not like uh, through right. the internet and through different cyber uh, protocols. So, yeah, it's going to be very different. And and uh, is there a potential for physical warfare in the real world? There is. There always is. But um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot. Uh, more cyber attacks and hacking of of things like that. I don't think I would be able to find my own feet without GPS. I mean, if all of this stuff goes down tomorrow, <laughs> good lord, without e- without Uber Eats, I'll starve, which is probably good for me for a month or so. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fascinating point, though, about the future of warfare and the idea of yeah. our cyber grid getting taken down and then a bunch of drones up in the sky. And again, this is why everyone needs to get a shotgun. Yeah. I've said it before. Shotguns are good to killing drones. We've seen it in you the need great to get an EMP gun. EMP, what's this? electromagnetic pulse yes i'm getting it can i buy it yeah it's a military thing right now you can look it up uh, emp gun will effectively uh fry hardware Hell uh, yeah. so uh, it's a little concerning because you start to get emp guns in the public and people could just go up uh to any kind of business and go shoot their square and uh there goes that device um, effectively they're meant to like you know you could you could stun a drone out of the air or you know, things like that. And you could, you could shut down a grid with a big EMP bomb or something. That's also concerning though. Think about it. If you, you didn't, eat, you didn't, you didn't drop a nuke, you dropped the EMP bomb in the middle of Manhattan. Wow. The whole city goes into 1990 because all the digital assets are white, right? That's why we're now working on like technologies to preserve our digital assets. We're working on digital insurance. There was just within the last couple of weeks, uh, a digital bank was chartered. Digital asset bank has been chartered in Wyoming, the first digital asset bank in the history of the world. Uh, wow. So it's that's all evolving, you know. It's coming. Well, I'd love to go back to the '90s. The New York Knicks—they were good. Should have won the championship. Maybe in round two. Baseball cards were mass production. It was great. Oh yeah. Shorts were long. Shirts were baggy. <laughs> Joe Toscano, author of Automating Humanity. You can also see him in the social dilemma a 
great documentary. The information is fantastic. Watch it again after you watch it the first time because then you won't focus so much on the reenactments, which is what I had to do. Um, but just lastly, Joe, thank you so much, number one, for, for taking so much time. I know this is going to be 20 minutes, and as always, I'm running over. Um, but talk about how these massive corporations in this pandemic, in 2020, as we have just seen so much suffering talk about how they're making billions of dollars and i'm not sure if you are if you're a ubi guy universal basic income but how do we how do we get the data is us we need a kickback of all of this money that these companies are making can you just explain how are these corporations making billions as we're suffering yeah i mean we're forced into it right that's uh that's what this has been uh, and in that sense, you know, when, when Zoom has an extra 300 million users, they're going to make more money. Um, I, what I propose in the movie, and I've been talking about this for years now, is a tax on data assets, mm. similar to tax on financial assets. Um, we didn't get into the depths of it in the movie, and I don't think we'll have to, we, I know we don't have time to get to the full depths of it here, but, you know, the idea behind it was that if we tax this appropriately, yes. One, it financially incentivizes companies to not collect and aggregate everything that they can, only what they need, because they're going to get taxed on it. Uh, Two, if we do it right, it will force companies to innovate and figure out ways to not withhold data on their servers. There are new models, uh, like, for example, a few years ago, Google came out with what they call a federated machine learning model, which I won't get into the details of, but effectively what happens is that um, the data stays on your device. It doesn't go up to their cloud services, and okay. the algorithm can still learn. There's a, and there's a lot more detail to that, but um, you know, situations like that where, where the data stays on your device, it decentralizes that. So if China, for example, this is really extreme, but wants to go hack Google servers in one centralized location, um, there's actually nothing there, right? It's all on our phones. Um, so it actually attacks, if done well, could increase privacy protections by default. Um, and then lastly, all that money, like you said, it's our labor. We're creating the data. Uh, right. I have a TED Talk called Want to Work for Google? You already do. And that's the whole right. point. We're creating data for these companies, which then helps them make better products, um, quite literally often trains their algorithms, which is the work that we're doing right. uh, un- unknowing. Um, and so we should get a kickback. I think ultimately, right, that's the point of the, the data tax is to spur a conversation about the fact that these are digital assets and we need to figure out how to pay people for it. And with that, when it comes to something like a TikTok, let's just say, so TikTok is, you know, people, um, they were monetizing it. TikTok obviously was making a bunch of money. Would this then be delineated by which corporation is in which uh, country? So, for example, Facebook, would that be, would we as Americans get that because that's an American company, but somebody in Germany would not get like the UBI from from uh, Facebook. I mean, I guess that's the issue with international companies where it's like they're mm-hmm. collecting data from all over the world. So how would you how would you sort of figure out who who gets money for their data? Because com- countries are going to have different standards and rules, right? Yeah. Uh, so we've seen an example of how this might come into play with recent privacy legislation. Uh, what some regulators are doing is they're considering the fact that, like we were talking about, the state-based jurisdiction is kind of withering. Um, And what we're seeing now is cloud regulation, right? Mm. Um, And so how how this works out is actually like uh, 
any data that belongs to a U.S. citizen would be taxed, and then the money, the tax generated from that data specific would go back to the United States. Okay. Or to the state or to the, right? Um, so it's cloud-based law. The company can exist anywhere in the world. Okay. But that tax goes back to the appropriate place. Of who was using it. Yeah. So so theoretically, someone in Ireland would would get a kickback if they were using it, Facebook in Ireland and were residents of Ireland. Yes, right. Exactly. As long, you know, as long as they're not using like a VPN or something that has them ping in other places in the world. Yeah, as long as we can track that that person's from Ireland, they're under Irish jurisdiction, you know, da, 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 um, then that tax revenue or the money generated, whatever that ends up becoming at some future point, um, right. goes back to that person and that state independently. Wow, that is really freaking interesting. Joe Toscano, author of Automating Humanity, uh, again, the star of The Social Dilemma, great points in that. Um, so <laughs> just check out check into the star, true star. Some of those people I didn't like. Some of the people I didn't like, by well, the way. a lot of great people. Well, Some of them I didn't you know, like because that there, be was, argued. there was one guy who was just like, I'm the problem, and I'm here to tell you what I did wrong. And I'm like, this, what are you, am yeah. I a priest? Are you yeah. confessing your sins to me? I don't care. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of great people, though. I really do encourage everyone please go watch it um my hope with this film is you know it's not going to change the world that's not nothing is going to go be the one thing that changed the world right but i do believe this is a film that we're going to look back on and we're going to say this is the film that spurred a conversation that helped change the world i do believe that so please do take the time go watch it uh i very much appreciate y'all having me on the show this is the reason why we are getting such an impact and having such reach as people like yourself so um keep up the great work and thank you for having me All right, there it was, our interview with Joe Toscano. Travis, did you just love it or did you love, love it? It's very scary. And I I like that it is a, um, it is... It is a modern day ABC after school special. Yeah. Oh, the, the social, the social dilemma. dilemma. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It really is. It like it joins the, the one person just needed to start doing whippets. It joins like all of the the the, tra- the tradition of after school specials such as my dad lives in a downtown hotel or um, <laughs> please don't hit me, mommy. Like all these Aww. like these really uh, these these things that bring up topics that are really important but they're hard to broach yes um so this is something you could like send to a grandparent and be like listen that's a good point this is exactly what's going on and it's done in a I'm, i have to say it's very cheesy the the reenactment thing oh. well reenactment is maybe not the right word it's like i think it is reenactment just like a enactment because it's not what is it what is it reenacting <laughs> uh, life i guess pete, pete campbell from Mad Men being uh, like a triplet in a computer world but that is a good point you can have if your folks are interested or your grandparents or whatever this is good it really is good for the whole family yeah um the social dilemma so check out that documentary if you haven't seen it read automating humanity i have flipped through it because i got it for free isn't that nice and uh, i just love talking with joe because he, you know, he understands this stuff, and I appreciate that he breaks it down in a way that uh, I, and hopefully you, I know you uh, can understand. So, um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Hang on in there. We'll keep on trucking. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.